You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. In November, when the leaves change and the air gets crisp, Americans turn their thoughts to Turkey. Although Thanksgiving would not become a national holiday until 1863, Colonial Virginians welcomed the turn of the season with dishes that reflected practicality and festivity in equal measure. Joining us now to talk about fall feasts of the 18th century is journeyman cook Barbara Shearer from our Historic Food Waste Program. Barbara, thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure. Well, first things first, was Thanksgiving celebrated in Colonial Virginia? Well, you say Thanksgiving where I say giving thanks. That's a big difference. As you uh, heard from the introduction here, Thanksgiving wasn't st didn't actually officially come around until 1863. But we have been giving thanks in the Virginia for a long time before that. We have reference of Berkeley Plantation giving thanks for the first permanent settlers coming in 1619. Berkeley Plantation on the James is very near here, just three or four miles from where we're sitting mm -hmm. now. So we have sort of a regional claim to maybe not Thanksgiving, but a feast of giving thanks yes. in the fall season. What's a little bit more of the history behind the, that Thanksgiving or giving thanks at Berkeley? It was uh, to welcome the, uh, the new settlers, the permanent settlers that came in 1619. So uh, basically, that is why they were giving thanks. And then, of course, we all know of Plymouth in 1621. What do we know about the giving thanks at Berkeley? Do we know sort of what they prepared or, or um, how they marked the occasion? No, we don't. Um, but I can tell you the kinds of foods you would have found in this area at that time. You're looking at turkey, goose, duck, Roast beef, definitely, you're going to have lots of beef. Venison, pork, oysters, and sturgeon. That's the kinds of foods you're going to have. Notice I say lots of meat, because it's a celebration. So starting with fowl, you mentioned goose and uh, turkey. Uh, would those animals have been hunted and slaughtered specifically in the fall? No, no, they can be eaten any time. You can um, get a bird and you can pluck it and gut it and have it on the spit within 20 minutes. Much, much fresher than what we have today. It's your bigger animals that are more seasonal in the sense of your beef, you're going to um, have more of it in the cooler months than what you are. You're going to have your veal in your summer months so that the butcher can get rid, sell all the meat he has because he's buying it from a slaughterhouse. Now, when you eat pork or beef in the fall, is it tied to the fact that you're going to be preserving it uh, and putting it up for the cold weather, for in the cold season, that you can only do that when the weather's cold? Well, yes, that is a way um, you can do that. But if you're at Berkeley, you are going to preserve your meats. But if you're in the city of Williamsburg, we have butcher shops and market stalls. So therefore, you can actually buy fresh meat from a butcher just exactly like you can today. Oh, I always thought that we did. We s slaughtered pigs in the fall because then you could salt them, cure them, smoke them, and then that the meat would keep through the winter. But you're saying that we had more of a, a more convenience like today. In the city. In the city. Notice I keep on saying in the city because we're city folk in Williamsburg. 
we're not country folk. We're city folks. So In the metropolis of Williamsburg. That's right. So those are the types of foods you're eating. What are some of the preparations? Today we, um, we roast a turkey and maybe, you well, know. Well, we don't roast. Do you put your turkey in an oven? Yes. Why are you calling it roasting? What's the proper term? That's baking, because when you put an apple pie in your oven, do you roast it or bake it? I, I suppose I bake it. So what's truly roasting? Roasting is when it's on a spit and fires behind it. If you go to the supermarkets to say, you'll see those modern rotisseries. If, if you look at them closely, you'll see that the heat element is always behind the meat. And therefore, as it's turning, it's sealing it in. But it's all, roasting means back heat. If you go into the palace kitchen, you will see that we have a spirit and we have a clock jack. And you will see that the spit is in front of the fire. Well, I will never make that mistake again. <laughs> Tell me more about the, the preparation of, if we're going to say we're having a fall feast, we can't exactly call it Thanksgiving, but let's say there's a feast in the fall and it's related to some of these harvests. But realize we don't have to have a feast in the fall. We're giving thanks for anything. Maybe you've had the birth of a child. Let's give thanks for that. Maybe it's the Queen's birthday. Let's give, it's thanks is not a season. It means you're just rejoicing, celebrating in it. So that's why we can give thanks anytime. As I say, it's not till much later on do we think Thanksgiving, it, oh, it's, it's November, it's gotta be Thanksgiving. But no, I mean, when you celebrate a birthday, you're really giving thanks for that. So in the period, would there have been Thanksgiving feasts or feasts of giving thanks throughout the year then? Yes. Is that what you're Okay. So if it comes in the fall then, if we happen to be celebrating the birth of a child in the fall uh, or, or whatever the occasion may be, what types of foods are we going to see in the fall that we might not see in the spring or summer? Well, you're looking at um, all, all your winter vegetables. And of course, you can preserve stuff in the spring and the summer for the celebration in the, in the fall. But would it have been preserved? Um, were they using canning method yet? No. Or it would have been salting or pickling? It would be pickling. Now, your meats, you're going to preserve. Your pork is going to be in a dry salt, but you can corn your meat where today we call it corned beef. Mm -hmm. You can corn your meat in a salt brine. And uh, you've got uh, meat beef then. So it's not so much tied to the seasons as I had assumed because there might have been food preserved or there might have been a local butcher that allowed you to you find pretty much the same types of foods throughout the year. Um, well, look at your larger animals, definitely your pork. You're also going to see here a lot of uh, your cabbages and your broccoli and your cauliflowers and a, a lot of vegetables like that, your, your spinach even. We're not looking at um, soft fruits, but we're looking at the apples and the pears that we've picked and put into barrels. What about grains that might have been harvested at, at, the, end of the, at the end of fall? Yeah, you're looking at your barley. 
And so those are dishes that might turn up uh, more typically just because they were they, people had them fresh on yeah, hand. Yeah, new wheat, yeah. How would those be, how are those manifested on the table? Wheat obviously would be bread. And what are they doing with barley? You can make it, beer with it. Oh, then that's, there's no feast without beer. No feast, no. You've mentioned some of these winter vegetables, your root vegetables, cabbage, spinach, apples. How are those being prepared, maybe? Well, you can do cabbage and onion cakes, which is on our blog. You can do stuffed cabbage, which is also there. Uh, those are just two things. I mean, there are plenty other things you could do. Um, you could also um, do carrots and onions in, in the Dutch fashion, which is also on the food blog. Um, we have, uh, we do a lot of our cooking at the palace from these uh, 18th century cookbooks and, you know, I could reel off plenty more, but they're all on the blog, most of them. <laughs> You've mentioned that you cook at the governor's palace, which means the food that we are presenting there represents really the upper crust, really the yeah. finest, richest, you know, most, most abundant um, varieties of, um, of food. That's what we see in, in the upper 2% in the gentry class households. As we move down the scale to maybe a middling class, to maybe an enslaved family, how do the foods that they eat change? Let's say comparing gentry, begin with comparing gentry to a middling class family. What are, how are their tables going to be different? Well, a gentry person is going to have about four or five or even six meats on a table because meat means wealth, where a middling family might have two just like a normal family here would either have one or two meats. Now, the um, slave family, or as I consider it, everybody else in Williamsburg, who are the dirt farmers, they are going to have a one-pot meal, completely different from either of those. If you've only got a cast iron pot, then you throw every, anything you can into it, you can see this being done at the armory site. So it's basically how most people eat. So you're looking at one pot meal, one or two meats, or just a galore of food. When you are preparing a feast at your house, in your kitchen, do you find that your background in historic foodways and in the 18th century sort of colors what you put on the table? Yeah. How, how do you think, how do you think that is effective? Well, I am a professional chef by trade. So with all my background in the 18th century and this, I, I do, I make cabbage and onion cakes at home now, which my family adore, by the way, they really do. And um, I also do use my culinary background from college where when I'm doing sp um, sprouts, I chop it up and put um, pecans in there and just fry them, saute them off. So I'm using both my backgrounds when I entertain. But yes, we, we, I, I even, I have, I have a um, rotisserie that will hold a 15 pound bird so I can roast. <laughs> Barbara, thank you so much for being here today. And for all of our listeners whose mouths are watering, <laughs> listening to Barbara describe some of these 18th century recipes, they have been translated for the Modern Kitchen on the food blog, which you mentioned before. That can be found at History. Org. Just look for the History is Served blog and go ahead and fix something a little bit different for your Feasts of Thanks this season. Barbara, thank you for being here today. Thank you very much.
We're always glad to hear from you. Send comments or suggestions from our webpage at podcast.history.org or find us on Facebook. To support the podcast and other Colonial Williamsburg programs, visit history.org slash donate.